Hello and welcome to this The Firm Clark Jefferson Co. podcast with us, Victor Clark and William Clark. Uh, normally we produce podcasts with various range of topics and special guests, but given the fact that this is the bah humbug season and nobody would join us, it's just the two of us. We plan on rolling through some of uh, this year's uh, highlights in terms of legal cases and maybe a little more on the lighter side without getting bogged too much down. So uh, on that basis, I'm going to start with you, William. The law is an ass, 1,500 words discuss who else were you going to start with? <laughs> that's the question yeah well the sound guy over there looks like he's asleep already so <laughs> it's exciting stuff yeah look i think let's jump into it. one of the big stories of the year was the ashley madison hack this is uh well not a dating website a website which facilitates affairs between consenting adults in america hacked in july of this year um a monstrous hack by all accounts they don't really know who is liable for it they haven't tracked them down to date but it's interesting on numerous different levels i suppose the first is why in the world is there a website like this yeah well like i mean but (laughs) non-legal this is just the practical okay like i mean first of all that really speaks volumes about the type of people who would use it because it's a huge database i mean this is not a specialist website this this had twelve thousand twelve thousand members yeah is that not just 12,000 members in Ireland? No, that's actually, you're correct. 12,000 in Ireland. 5.5 million registered female accounts. That's female accounts. So that's even before the actual men who would have joined the site. Yeah, but in fairness, if you've got a, a, a database of a couple of million women who are willing to have affairs, it won't be long until... No, but this was the most exciting... Well, exciting is the wrong word. For me, the most interesting part of the whole thing was not even the breach. What followed after the breach and when they inspected the files of the company, it turned out that that 99% of the women on the site were not, in fact, women. They were robots. Okay, so I've just got this picture in my head, right? <laughs> of a couple of hundred thousand bored, unsatisfied robots sitting at home, tapping away at <laughs> their computers. Tapping away at their computers, right? While the tin man is out yeah. doing his daily job. And they are looking to have interspecies relationships with these idiots who think they're communicating with, that's not fair to call them an idiot, but they're, com- they're communicating with non-females that they think are females. Is that right? Yeah. That's correct, but it, uh, they're actually not robots, they're called bots, and what they are is they're, they're essentially programs. So programs that learn, this is really interesting, they actually learn, the more you interact with them, the more they learn and the different responses they give. So you log on and you say, hi, I'm Victor Clark, uh, how are you this evening? And it will reply, I am fine. Now, as time goes on, it will actually change that response due to the question it's asked. And okay. this is why... It's going, it is technology that's actually used that people don't know is being used, but used on a daily basis. Yeah, but isn't this not really the point? I mean, the fact that uh, 99% of responses from the female pool of Ashley Madison were these bots, isn't the point really that 100% of the real people who were on that site were on it for nefarious purposes, i.e. having a an affair mm. uh, and somehow cheating on their spouse? I mean, I heard, I know there was a big hack and, and there was outrage at the the data dump and everything Mm. that happened but i remember hearing a story from the twin towers where one of the most notorious divorces that occurred out of 9-11 was a a woman who rang her husband um who was having an affair with his secretary uh, and he answered the phone and she said where are you and he said oh i'm in work but she was watching the two towers burn on television Mm. which obviously led to the fact that he was caught so while there was a lot of given out about isn't it terrible that this hack has happened should we have sympathy for the people who were caught yeah, I, I don't think we should, but there are certain elements to this. Like, there was a huge amount of suicides which came out of this, okay, due to psychological problems. And then you have to actually think beyond the people who were on the website and their information being released, and that is the families and kids of the people who were affected by that. So I'm sure there is quite a serious kind of kick-on from all of that as well. Um, but sorry, well, not to cut across you, but isn't the reality of this... You just did. Yeah, well, <laughs> sorry, sorry, sorry to cut across you, but I'm going to. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't the reality to this that a huge amount of people who are on this website, A, don't believe they're doing anything wrong because the cyber world isn't the real world, and B, they might think, I'll never act on it, I'm just using a computer. Yeah, but the question question really is, I think, when can you restrict data information and when should it be released? Like, are they doing anything illegal? And should the information be released? Well, they're breaching contract, obviously, yeah. because marriage is a contract. Mm. So, but is this more moral dilemma as opposed to a... Well, it's not that it's illegal, but it's a civil wrong. 
Yeah. How very correct of you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, mean, I mean, from a practical point of view, the, the law relating to marriages is, is quite incredible. It's only modernized in the last couple of years. God, mm. I'm really deviating now. But did you know until a number of years ago, there was an actual court order that you could get called restitution of conjugal rights? Mm. And that essentially... Like something out of Robin Hood. Yeah, yeah. Well, a Friar Tuck sort of scene, but it essentially said that and this is true, so I've got to keep a straight face because obviously there may be people listening who have used this particular remedy and not looking at you in particular. But in the event that, for example, a spouse decided uh, not to uh, become involved physically with their other spouse, the spouse who was on the receiving end of that could take a circuit court case in the form of an injunction to compel their spouse to sleep with them. Yeah. And the judge could actually outline when this was to happen on a weekly or monthly basis. <laughs> now, that's only changed a number of years ago. So if you take the slow adaptation of marriage law mm. and then you look at something like this where you've got, what did you say, 12,000 Irish people? Yeah, well, that seems to be the figures at the minute. Yeah. On this. So is this the modern response to what everybody just put up and shut up with 20 years ago or 40 years ago? Yeah, I think, I think this is more everyone's laundry being washed in public, to be honest. And this is what the hackers do. And uh, they use it to extract funds, of course. But in this, they were a little more aggressive. They released the information without actually taking a lot of the money that they were looking for. They made the company fall, basically. But, yeah, it seems to be that these are things that happen. You know, affairs happened long before the Internet. They'll happen long after. But it now seems to be in public. Yeah, but it, look, it's not just marital cheaters that are caught on the Internet, is it? I mean, 2015 was really the year of... Uh, the internet foiling exaggerated personal injury claims. <laughs> I mean, only recently we had the married couple who, on the one hand, thought it would be great to stage a car crash and claim a large sum of money, and on the other hand, for whatever deranged reason, thought it would be okay to exhibit photographs of themselves together in anticipation, I think, of, of their marriage. Yeah, again, this is, this is the biggest question I have of people using the internet, okay? And any of the litigation questions we get surrounding any type of internet law is, how do people not understand what they do on the internet is public? Yeah, I mean, you always had a great phrase which said that unless you were prepared to be quoted on the front page of the Irish Times, don't say it on the internet. Mm. And it would be actually you get less publicity in the front of the Irish Times than you would on the internet. But isn't it because a huge amount of people think if, if I'm in Facebook, for example, and I have a private profile setting, hmm. that it's private, nobody can see it, and it's mine and nobody else will see it? A lot of people think that, actually, and that is the idea. But again, depending on what kind of uh, security measures you have in place that can be changed, pictures are forever taken and moved and changed. And, you know, there is no way of protecting your information as much as people think there is. I mean, you look at these particular cases. There was another one uh, recently where a woman uh, was claiming in the high court very serious uh, physical damages. And the judge described her as a fine and amazing specimen of humanity. I mean, she was a bodybuilder, essentially, or one of these fitness friends. Oh, she was, yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And she had this incredible physique hmm. that obviously took a huge amount of work. Um, far more work than I'm capable of. <laughs> yeah, so much, somewhat like yourself. Clearly, far more work than I'm capable of outputting, and I would count myself as relatively healthy. So, on on the one hand, she's claiming these debilitating injuries, and she's lying to the court, and then she's believing, well, nobody will know. So, just to tempt faith, I'm going to put up all the photographs of my amazing physique to show the world simultaneous to while my court case is going on. Yeah. I mean, is this... It, that was amazing. And not only that, not only did she do that, but she went out to competitions. Yeah. So she was out in public, mm. you know, <laughs> flexing or whatever you do in those competitions. Haven't done one in a while. But, <laughs> <laughs> Clearly. But, uh, you know, it's, it is amazing that, that people think that no one will see what they do. And then they publicize it. Yeah, but people can't be that stupid, right? Is it? They are. But is it as well? Thank you for that sweeping generalization. But um, <laughs> to try and be a bit more balanced about this. Is it that they think because they have a private setting that nobody can see into it and for some reason if someone does see into it they can claim well that's my private property. No but the the reason I say they are stupid is because you know Warning Clark Jeffers does not recommend (laughs) that people are stupid. (laughs) Sorry we'll continue there. No like you know if you put a picture up it can be private to a point but there Mm. are always ways of that picture going around. So you know if People are just greedy then. They're just looking for the kudos for whatever picture they're showing. And they must assume the risk that they're 
having at the time. But is this because people don't believe that their online persona is anything akin to their real persona? Yeah, I think there is a big separation. And this is why, uh, just to get kind of serious on it for a minute, this is why cyberbullying is lethal. Because a lot of the people who are the bullies are in fact very much not bullies in real life. They're weaker people. Um, they probably sure. hide in the background, whereas they're keyboard warriors. And again, you see this when bad things happen, when the attacks in Paris happened. You had all of these people all over the internet spreading their information and you know what should be done and what not should be done. And none of these people really have any idea what's going on. But they all feel that they have priority to say it. And, you know, it's the same. People get a different persona behind a keyboard. Yeah, but it seems to me I'm, I'm not a big Twitter person. Um, but I, have a, I look at Twitter every so often. And it seems to me that things that you would expect to rise people on Twitter don't. And it's the things that you mightn't expect cause a massive outrage. And the, the, the example is... If I, I, I will need an example. You, uh, <laughs> let, me, let me say this to you with QED before it. Um, on a very serious note, that poor little boy who washed up on the beach, there was mm. there was a, a number of comments in relation to that uh, on Twitter and um, at least two people in, in my network yeah. commented mm. on it. But if you roll back a couple of months to where Cecil the Lion was killed, mm. I couldn't turn on Twitter without Cecil the Lion badges, people changing their profile pictures to Cecil the Lion. Yeah. Cecil the Lion was being projected up onto buildings in New York. Mm. It seemed that the online world went crazy over Cecil the Lion and I'm certainly not going to ever condone a, a line being shot in any way, shape, Yeah, but form. again, people didn't get the full story on Cecil the Line. There, there's a huge amount going on there. Again, I actually don't condone it, but what I'm saying is there was far more going on there than yeah. simply just the line was shot illegally. There I know, but doesn't it just show that um, people on the internet, is it that they follow crazes? or? Yeah, I actually... I thought about this before, and I think there might be a reason behind it. And the reason is the bigger political issues, such as refugees. Mm. Okay, these are huge stories, and that's that image of that boy is haunting in every respect. But people do not want to pin their colours to that. Mm. Okay, because it's quite a strong. It's like never discuss politics. Yeah. Okay, so people are showing exactly who they are by saying yes or no to refugees. Okay, you are very clearly divided on that. By commenting on a lion or a tiger being killed, it doesn't really matter to a point. Some people are quite uh, quite strong on animals, and that's, you know, that is the, where they're coming from. Other people find it easy to comment on because they don't really care. Yeah, nobody's so going to contradict them. Yeah, they're yeah. following a trend. Okay. Now, where I think secondly that comes from is celebrities will be quick to get involved with something like that. Because, again, they're not pinning their colours mm. to the mast. It's easy to sure. jump on something like that. And because, and you will see this on Twitter, Twitter is celebrity heavy. People follow people. That is the idea of Twitter. So you follow someone who no doubt is a celebrity or is someone that interests you, and they are the people then that dictate the overall conversation that's had on these sites. And then going back to what we were talking about a few minutes ago, is this why people take personal injuries cases on the one hand and yet don't seem to think it's a problem showing pictures of themselves doing parachute jumps or mm. doing bodybuilding competitions because they believe it's a benign sort of subject on on Facebook. Nobody's really going to give out about them doing yeah. positive things. They think I think they think social media is not a game, but social media is social media. Mm. It's not serious. You know, it's where people go on and just interact and talk or whatever. Whereas it's in fact quite different from that because only last year did the first PI summons get served on a defendant through Facebook. Yeah, well, that was quite incredible, but I just wanted... You said social media is not that serious, right? But for... No, 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 no. I said people consider it not to be that serious. Yes, yeah. but it has serious ramifications Monsters, because, yeah. I mean, take a look. There was a story in the Indos some one of the days this week where um, revenge porn, and we're all familiar, unfortunately, mm. with revenge porn, and it's becoming a bigger weapon nowadays than it ever was with, with video phones and camera phones and all the rest but there was somebody murdered um, in continental Europe because mm. of a, a, a revenge porn and this was something that was put through Facebook and Facebook have this policy that says we only take down uh, is it we don't take down hurtful we only take down harmful mm. but they seem to be the sole arbiter of the difference between the two it's very subjective yeah, and that's yeah. the problem with it it is subjective And but where do you draw the line on that Facebook is extremely 
clear on the fact that they want freedom of expression. It's quite the American idea that mm. everyone gets their say. And while I've no problem with that, <laughs> there, there must be a limit put on it because some people have extremely bad things to say. Yeah, um, and you know, I suppose from a practical point of view, I read a statistic where huge amounts of the revenge porn mm. are emanating now between sixteen and eighteen year olds. Of course they are, but this this falls into a bracket of people who have camera phones who have probably grown up with camera phones and are using them completely differently to someone in our generation, how they mm. would be using them. You know, revenge porn is sickening, and they have brought in legislation in America to try and deal with this. I do think it's coming down the tracks. I think it needs to, and it needs to be criminal, because it's as close to sexual assault as you can get. Absolutely, yeah, and it's a huge invasion of privacy. Yeah, monstrous. But I've got some good news. The internet is going to be fixed. Very shortly. Now, I can, <clears throat> I can reveal that the European Commission are working on uh, laws to ban teenagers from the internet. Yeah. As we speak. They're, they're raising the minimum age. Yes, it? as we speak, there is a commissioner in Brussels under Parliament playing a large organ with a face mask, <laughs> damning all teenagers to, he- to internet hell. I read a story, in, again, in The Independent yesterday. Clearly, you can see we're coming up to the run-up to Christmas. I have not much better to be doing. Um, where the EU are bringing in a set of, or trying to bring in a set of new laws, raising the age of consent from 13 to 16. And the practical effect of that would be that, uh, for example, it may be that only 16-year-old plus can use Facebook. It may be that uh, you have to be 16 to enter most particular sites Mm. now it's a little bit of a joke because the thing comes up that says are you 16 Mm. and if you click no it won't let you in yeah if your name's not Dan you're not coming in yeah exactly (laughs) there ain't no bouncer standing in front of it you know exactly you click it again and click yes this time there is definitely ways in the future to fix that because most computers are going to have cameras on them you know Mm. all you need is retina scanners or something like this and before you know it you will be able to restrict people but that is just not in place and again that is a a huge data Mm. protection issue um my real feeling on that is that that coincides with safe harbor agreements being gotten rid of. Mm. Um, and that is a really big issue for service providers um, around the world at the minute. Well, okay, well, we're straying now into the highly exciting world of data protection. <laughs> yeah. And just before my eyes glazed over, I had to talk to try and cheat myself up a bit there. But very briefly, you know, you take Ashley Madison, you take revenge porn, you take anything that causes a stir of that nature. And the reality is, it's data. Mm. Data is the new money. It is, it? absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's people's reputations, it's people's details, it's credit card details, it's details of who's having an affair. It's but it's, it's not even data. These days, when, when people think of data, they think of credit card mm. uh, information, right? And that, that was the old way of extracting money. Data is now seen by in legitimate purposes by marketers. Okay, so on it's Facebook, commodity. yeah, it's a yeah. huge commodity. On Facebook, you will log in, and before you know it, you will have ads specific to you being pointed directly at you. Hmm. Okay, so now if you wanted that pair of sunglasses, suddenly up on the right of your screen, there are the sunglasses that you had looked at once about six months ago, and that is direct marketing. And you cannot, from talking to marketers, you cannot buy that, and that is where data protection um, is huge at the minute, is to protect people from an overuse of that. Yeah, but there's a huge uh, misconception about data protection and data protection laws in Ireland. I mean, only the other day I was on to another solicitor's firm who told me they couldn't tell me why they were suing my client in case they breached data protection, which clearly demonstrated a severe lack of understanding. But from a practical point of view, and we'll be quick on this because we don't want to get bogged down, but... What is a data controller? Who is a data controller? Well, you have different parties to it. So you have the data subject, who's the person who it is about, i.e. me, for example, and my information, my age, my name, my address. Um, Then you're going to have the data controller, which is the person who the data is given to. Now, a data processor is the person who actually uses the information then, whether it is by using it to extract payment from a credit card or whether they are storing it as a third party. Okay, so the... The issues, and again, we're going to get very technical if we don't stop here, but the issues are that now what they're trying to do, what Europe definitely is trying to do, is try to move the liability to the processor as well as the controller. Okay, well, before we get too technical, Hmm. let me give an example, a festive example, if you will. If you will. You pointed out to me recently in a shopping centre. Oh, this is a lie. No, th- th- this, is, this is so the truth. And this is what happens when your brother is a data geek. When you looked at the Santa box for children's letters, you said to me, 
that is a data protection nightmare. Right? Yeah. <laughs> now, to use, to use the example, the child is the data subject. They've got, dear Santi, yes. my name is little Timmy. I live in Carlow. <laughs> And I want X, Y, and Z. So yeah. you've got all your data on them as per data subject. The data processor is the is, elf. Is the elf. Okay, yeah, okay. correct. Yeah, because yeah. he gets Santa's letter. Yeah, yeah. And he and brings it to the workshop. Yes. And then the data, the actual end user controller, the controller processor, sorry, yeah. is the big man in the red suit. Yeah, okay? absolutely. Yeah. So, so the government are going to hammer Santi. Yes, yeah. But now, I understand he lives in the North Pole, which is international waters. And I'm not really sure... And that's actually what I was talking about with Safe yeah. Harbour Agreement. Yes. So, no longer can we trust Santi to actually process the information correctly. Okay, so we have to get rid of international waters for the likes of yeah, this. We now need a new agreement in place to allow us to put our information to the North Pole. Mm, sorry, just if we're going to be really technically correct, I think he's governed under Norwegian law. <laughs> but, anyway... <laughs> That's probably European law, so let's get back to the point. So you've got this situation now, and just while we're at it, is a children's post box for Santi a data connection issue? That's very difficult, actually, and now you've put me on the spot. <laughs> um, I'll tell you, the children can't consent because they're underage to consent, so it would be the parents who are consenting on their behalf. So once someone consents to the use and they know what the use is, but, you know, if... I would assume that all of these are going to the North Pole. However, if they were to be utilised in a different way, then that is definitely... Well, now, here's the example. So the shopping centre hmm. then takes these letters hmm. and then starts sending flyers to the children's houses advertising the type of toys that they want to buy. Yeah, now, that's, that would that's be, 100% okay, a breach right, of data protection. Okay. Yeah. There's, the subject must always consent and know where the data is being stored. It can only be stored for a specific period of time and it must only be utilised for the reason which the consent is given. Okay. Okay, well, look, on that note, we have strayed somewhat to what we started talking out there. Let's just move on to another big issue which happened in at the beginning of this year, actually, where the government brought in new mortgage lending rules well, this fairly much kiboshed a lot of potential buyers, didn't it, in Ireland? Yeah, like you can really see why this came in because they, they want to restrict kind of excessive lending to avoid any issues that could have led or assisted in the, bo- or in the boom occurring and then the inevitable crash that came after it. Um, essentially, what they've done is they've restricted it down. So if you are a first-time buyer, you need 10%, as per before, up to €220,000. Thereafter, and for any other purchaser, you need 20% of the purchase price. Um, on top of that, they've restricted lending to three and a half times your salary. So, so let's just stop there now on the technics. Yeah. I am earning, let's call it 40 grand a year. Yeah. Right? I want to buy a house in Dublin of, let's just call it 300. This is going to be a, an outlying house, but 300 grand. You're telling me I have to have roughly a 46 grand deposit. Plus, I can only bar- borrow three times my wages. Three and a half times. Three and a half times. So those figures don't even add up. No, but they don't add up. And Now, they can add up outside of Dublin. Surprisingly, these mortgage rules actually will benefit people outside of Dublin. But is this why we have a housing crisis in Dublin? Well, it's no, in Dublin, the, the problem isn't too many houses and people not having funding. People are buying the houses. The houses are selling like hotcakes, and they're selling at quite a high price now there definitely has been a cooling off in the last quarter of the year definitely in relation to sale prices so i think the effect is beginning to show yeah but we're i mean the government are trying to okay we don't want another housing bubble but we're trying to encourage people to you know buy houses we're trying to encourage people to rent out houses to own property etc and here we have this tremendous stranglehold and is it not typically irish is it not the state telling us we don't trust you all to make up your own decisions and be responsible yourself. So we're going to control it now to within an inch of your life. Yeah. And even surprising you said that because this morning on the radio, I heard that uh, Bertie O'Hearn came out and basically said it was Joe Soap who caused the crash due to the over uh, borrowing that they did. Nothing to do with the banks, but simply the public themselves. Joe Soap's whip around that caused the crash. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, okay. You know, but no, um, yeah, I absolutely agree. I think they've used a very strong tactic to try and take hold of it. Now, Long term, this will benefit the country. Definitely long term, this will benefit. However, there is Sorry, one... Sorry, your, your, your Fianna Gael badge is falling off you there. Just no, no, no. There is there's definitely, sorry, there's definitely one group that is getting hammered yet again in this. And that is the people who bought during, during the boom and who are now stuck in negative equity still. And who have not clambered out of it as of yet. And who are unable to sell. 
because now they are definitely stopped from selling because they cannot reach the heights of 20% of what they need to. Yeah, sure. And I mean, if we just take it very, very briefly, there was another law brought in this year, which was the new building regulations, which was almost designed to do a similar thing. It was for uh, houses that were being built, had these new building regulations applied to them, which even a lawyer looked at and went, that's just crazy. Mm. In fact, I, I spoke to um, a couple of clients who told me that the average price to build their house to hire an engineer to comply with the regulations was about 12 to 14 grand. It was a huge outlay to start. Yeah, and what it did was, it was a great idea because it was going to regulate better building houses, etc. in Ireland, but what it actually did was just kill one-off building. And then what the government did was they went, oh gosh, we're not having any one-off building. Do you know what we'll do? We'll roll back on this. It's not working. And they roll back on it and now it doesn't apply to one-off bills anymore. And it was only in about eight months. Did it apply to any of those buildings in the eight months? It, anybody who did it in the eight months had applied to those. Mm. So if you were unlucky enough to be doing your house in the middle of that eight months, you probably spent about 10 grand more than you needed to. Now, there's an argument that you have a much, probably a better house better because it was betterly yeah, yeah. supervised, etc. So, But leaving that aside, they rolled back on it because it clearly wasn't working. We now have this massive housing crisis in 2015. Mm. Um, and well, it's too expensive to build it's, it's, Yeah, but is there any chance the government are going to roll back on this one? The I, don't mortgage will. I don't think they will. There's been rumour that they will, but at this stage, it hasn't affected Dublin, clearly. Um, I, I don't know where the money is coming from, but people are still buying and they're buying big up there. Down the country, prices haven't recovered enough. And again, I'm slow to say recover because recover means back to boom time and that's a ridiculous level to be looking at. But I mean recover to what probably should be a decent level. So, you know, again, I don't think the mortgage rules are are that restrictive really long term. And I think if people put up with it for a little bit, everyone will probably benefit in the end. Okay. In order that we don't get bogged down in the uh, muck of heavy mortgage lending rules, etc. I just want to turn our attention for two minutes to some of the lighter court cases that may have hit this country during the year. Um, uh, What I might do is I might start uh, because I've got a personal favourite. Well, a couple of personal favourites here. But one is um, personal injuries arising out of an Ann Summers party where the judge recommended that a special risk assessment should take place in relation to the sites for these answers. And who carries out this risk assessment? And who carries out these risk assessments? And what is this? a good job. What's the subjective level of risk assessment for an answers party? I mean, is it the hour of the day? Is alcohol a factor? Is the attendees a factor? Yeah, location. Yeah. I mean, the legal consequences here for not carrying out a site survey. And where does it stop? Right? Where does it stop? Are people as equally excited about other products? Tupperware, for example. <laughs> no. Tupperware is exciting. Yeah, but I mean, lest we be, uh, lest we be um, sexist. What about men? Mm. Our site surveys need. Is this an example of a case that's just showing the negligence law in Ireland to be getting way out of control? Are we yeah, getting a bit it like does, America? It, yeah, it does definitely, definitely looks as if it's uh, if it's moving the the kind of corporate America way where it's just everyone is suing everyone. Yeah, where you can put a cat in the microwave because there's no sign that says, warning, don't put a cat in the microwave. Are we getting to that, are we? <laughs> Hopefully never. But yeah, it, it, it seems to be that you kind of have to spell it out in black and white. And if you don't, then it's it's you can do it. Okay. Um, Garda gets a community service for punching man in Santa hat. Oh, it could be legitimate. Mm. What was the man in Santa hat doing? Was it you? No, it, and nor was I the Garda. Yeah. Um, it just seems rather unfestive, but I'm sure that there may have been background information that we are not privy to, but I like the headline. <laughs> <laughs> um, what about what about the traffic violation in Tralee, whereby a car was stopped by the police only to find a donkey in the passenger seat? Go on. <laughs> it's quite intriguing. The donkey was one half of a musician group. I understand he played the tin whistle. <laughs> who played the tin whistle the donkey played the tin whistle now I'm not sure if the traffic violation related to the donkey being in the front of the car presumably without a seatbelt hmm. or whether it related to another offence which drew the guard's attention but none could of the, be excessive noise he may have been playing the tin whistle out the window he could have been, been cruising around the town he could have, he could have been but I mean in reality who, style, who, who puts a donkey into the passenger seat of a car where else are you going to put a donkey? <laughs> if you don't have a horse box, you're going to put him in the car. Okay. Is, it, is it illegal to put a donkey in a car? Oh, it would be. I mean, well, for a start, I wonder was he wearing a seatbelt. I don't know. Mm. 
Yeah. Would, it, would it be cruel? Well, we can't to, speculate that he was. Would it be cruel to a donkey to make it wear a seatbelt? <laughs> no, we've gone, we've gone way off kilter. I'm so sorry about that. <laughs> um, there was a one of the English papers picked up on an Irish headline, and in fairness, you know, I've been listening to Irish headlines in anticipation of doing this podcast, but I like the one in the Exeter Post. Irish judge calls man gobshite. <laughs> but that's sounds the, legit that's again. Dispens- now I'm sure the man probably probably deserved it, um, <laughs> but that's dispensing justice, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. Well, <laughs> was he a gobshite? Well, and we're getting involved in a bit of speculation now. Speaking of headlines, I heard one the other day, and it relates to undeniably my favourite media story of 2015. And this relates to the primetime investigation in relation to the politicians. Now, <laughs> lest some politicians would threaten to sue me, I'm not going to get too deeply into this one. But I heard a brilliant, only in Ireland could you hear, A, this defence, and B, a headline reader on national radio news reading it this way. She said on national radio news, I was in the car, and she said, um, and he claims that he only went along with it for the crack. For right? the crack. For the crack. So here we have... A primetime sting, we all know about this, where uh, somebody posed as an Icelandic windmill company uh, to expose corruption in county councils and met with two or three people. And in fairness to those two or three people, we don't know the background and there may be legal cases. So for the purposes of clarity, we're not casting any dispersion either way. But the defence is, from one of them, I knew it was a sting and I only played along to show how poor RTE was. He played pretty well. Well, he, he did do that now, in fairness. But he didn't tell them at any stage... By the way, at the end, I know you're staying. He got walked out. <laughs> and how long afterwards did he then decide to tell them that he knew they were? I don't know, but it appears to be moments after it broke in the media. <laughs> <laughs> moments after the prime time. Yeah. Exclusive. Can I just say, staying away from these particular examples, um, what do you think of all these primetime investigators? What do you think of doorstepping people like yeah, this? Yeah, I, I don't know. It, it's great TV. I love rogue traders on TV. Right. I love I love those kind of shows. Yeah, cowboy builders. And yeah, all these I, lo- I love those things, right? But there is a danger that you are very much getting one side, mm. very much getting one side, um, and there is always an argument that maybe it is not what it seems, you know. Mm. And bearing in mind that what we see on prime time is their edited version of their interview on what they want us to see. So it's a bit like The Simpsons where he's he's giving his interview and there's Godfrey a clock in Jones. the background and it's moving around at the rate of knots, but he's clearly edited the No, say, Mr. Simpson, no. Yeah, so um, I see, yep, and I appear, and this is, goes back a little bit to like social media. It's the portrayal of something in the way that somebody wants to portray it. It doesn't have to be real. Yeah. It's a bit like social media identities. Yeah, well, social media identity is just not real in any way, shape, or form. One of the great stories of the year was a woman who, uh, a model, I think she was a model anyway, but... Uh, huge followers on social media. She that was her livelihood on Instagram. She would post pictures of her with different clothes on, and she get paid to wear those clothes. And then she came out anyway and said that it wasn't real, and that a photo that she looked as if she had just taken randomly had taken a hundred shots before she actually took the final one, and that she was unhappy, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. To add then to that story was the fact that she was releasing a book at the time. So essentially what she was doing was casting out her publicity to actually attract more publicity to sell a book. So it just goes, it was doubly fake, you know, and that is social media is usually fake. Um, back to, to the kind of primetime shows, yeah, I, I, I think they're great. I think they're very important and they're in the public interest, especially the one that was on recently was definitely in the public interest. But I, I do think you need to be very careful with how you take them on the first viewing. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting to hear your strong opinion on them being in the public interest, considering all I saw you watch the next day was the Macarena version of the interview with one of the particular. But <laughs> well, that was artistic. <laughs> yeah, leaving that aside, I mean, let's just look for let's look, let's come back into the real world for a second because we're we're talking about how crazy the the cyber world can be and how distorted reality can be. But a story appeared in the um, in the news this year in in the north whereby uh, a local bakery refused to cook a particular wedding cake mm. for a couple who were who were gay. And it was a Burton Ernie cake. Mm. And they were found to be discriminatory. Mm. Okay? Um, my question, I suppose, is where does the law stop? And whose side should discrimination yeah, be I on? Yeah, 
this this was a very tough one for me when I was looking at it because <clears throat> you know I, I think that the the lads who went in to get this cake um, you know there should be nothing stopping them from getting whatever cake they want and whatever absolutely, message yeah, or whatever is on it. Yeah. And I think you the know, Irish public have well spoken. Yeah, oh, very clearly the referendum yeah. this year. But on the other side of this, and this is this is a point that not a lot of people want to talk about, is why were people forced who own their own business to do something that they did not want to do? So. But actually, it does not go further than that. Uh, my understanding was they had a staunch religious background. Yeah. And it was for that reason... Mm. So the question is, and we're, look, we're not we're not saying either we're right yeah, or wrong. No, we're not, not advocating. But, but I think it's an example of just how the world works at the moment. Mm. You know, which was a discrimination to to obviously, and it is discrimination to discriminate against anybody on the grounds of sex. But is it not equally discriminative to, uh, to discriminate against somebody on the grounds of religion? Yeah, but absolutely. But all you have to do is look at the legislation, employee legislation. Mm. You know, and there is specific guidance there which deals with sexuality and which deals with religion. And side by side, you know, so the two of them are given equal power as they should be. Um, you know, so this was one where they eventually found that, in fact, uh, sexuality rated higher. Mm. You know, and, and these people were forced to do something they didn't want to do as against their religious beliefs. Uh, whether or not people agree with them, they were forced to do it. So, okay. And moving then from issues where, you know, there's hard to tell right and wrong, etc. And indeed, speaking of Burton Ernie. Um, Mick Wallace and Claire Daly <coughs> recently jailed uh, at the cost of €8,000 to the taxpayer yeah. over uh, American planes landing. Now, again, we're, t- and I feel compelled being a solicitor to keep saying we're not condoning or approving any of this, we're just speaking about it. But it cost the Irish taxpayer €8,000 for them to be jailed for a couple of hours. My opinion is that that, that was disgraceful. Well, you know, elected officials in Ireland, do they not have a duty to uphold the law? Yeah, the big issue that I had with this one was not the protesting. I, You know, I, I was neither here nor there for me uh, in relation to that, but the, the big issue that I had was they broke the law. Hmm. They, I, I, yeah, I get the protesting. I yeah, get that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Should they, it have been... They jumped the fence, though, into an airport. Hmm. Now, there is probably no more dangerous place in Ireland to be than in an airport for yourself and for everyone else who is flying into that airport. Mm. So they cause substantial risk to themselves and to other people while breaking the law. And now they have an issue that they were jailed for. Yeah. Particularly Mick Wallace in a high-vis vest. I mean, it's a frightening sort of sight for a pilot <laughs> of a major aircraft coming You'd into the land. a long way away anyway. Yeah. But what I think is interesting here is, um, and going back to my first-year law roots, uh, there's a separation of powers between the government and, and the judiciary system. Absolutely. So they're refusing to pay a fine is in no way a protest against the government. This yes. is the, this is yeah, the yeah. irony. Yeah. It's a protest against the judiciary for passing down the sentence. Mm. Now, the judiciary are no more responsible for allowing America or anybody else, for that matter, land any type of plane in Shannon. So does this go to show a fundamental lack of knowledge of the actual Irish system by these two particular people, or is this just a kind of a stunt for uh, election points? Yeah, I don't know. I, I wonder, is this confusion, um, to be honest, uh, mixed with some type of publicity? Um, it, it's a difficult one. You'd wonder, you'd wonder, did they get carried away with what they were doing? Mm. Um, I, I just have a major issue with it. Um, and the fact that they've come out so publicly and had a go at the actual judicial system because of it. Yeah. Um, I think that's completely wrong. Now, not only that, but in my opinion, they've they've lost the point. You know, for the last two weeks, for example, when this issue was hot, I didn't hear about landing planes in Shannon by America. I didn't hear that once. All I heard was the €3,000 fine and the drive that they had to endure to get down there, etc. So... The reason they were protesting was lost, and now they are protesting over something else. Mm. So they're either against the planes landing in Shannon, or they're against the judiciary, one or the other. Yeah, it seems to be a fundamental misunderstanding of the actual separation in the system, doesn't it? Yeah, I suppose. Well, look, uh, just to slightly move on from there, I can give you a grave misunderstanding of a situation, and that is the as story... As long as it's not mine. No, no, no. it's okay, right. This is the story, uh, the headline here in the paper says, Man paid friend to make hoax bomb call to Intel to avoid work. Oh, jackpot. Would you Classic. believe now, without getting, it, without getting into the law on this one, I was the benefactor of this. Um, on that day, I had 
wanted to play golf. And a buddy of mine who works in Intel couldn't. He rang me that morning and said, are you still on? I'm free due to a bomb threat. Now, when we were playing, we heard it was a hoax bomb threat, I admit. I looked across at him for a moment. Yeah. And thought, mm. But yeah, I see this. It was a hoax bomb threat so, so that somebody could get out of going to work for the day. Yeah, right? my understanding was they were out on a fairly heavy night with different cocktails of things. And uh, they woke up the next day and he didn't want to go to work. So what better way of avoiding work than ringing in a bond threat to one of the biggest employers in the country <laughs> and block every motorway like within a 16 miles. people going to work. <laughs> <That's okay. laughs> well, all of Kildare shut down basically for this. Mm. So, uh, yeah, that's someone now who probably didn't understand the consequences of what they were doing. But uh, I, I'm actually... I'm so part of me surprised, and I suppose part of me is relieved the judge probably didn't go too heavy on them. The young enough lads, mm. stupid mistake. You know, but... In this day and age, a hoax bomb call is a... Like, yeah. in America now, you would be locked up for mm. years for that. Well, anyway, just in America, because I don't want to compare Ireland's laws to America's yeah, yeah, laws yeah, or Ireland well, to America. Well, it's completely different, but, yeah. but it is completely different because recently, and this year also saw um, our president, Michael D. Higgins, uh, you know, abused and slagged in a very uh, not nice sort of way, and his car jumped on, etc., in America, he, those protesters would have been shot, wouldn't they, for yeah, doing that? They would yeah. have been, I'd say. You, know, you wouldn't see them again. Mm. And again, we're not casting any right or wrong, and we're all for legitimate protest. But mm. it shows that, uh, is it that Ireland are willing to put up with more, or is it that we're a more democratic nation, or is it that our laws are more lax, or what is it? I'm not sure. People do seem to be a bit more relaxed about the, about the whole thing. Mm. <laughs> you know, yeah. There, yeah. There's a... I, there is a part in America where, look, if you have guards and police walking around with guns on them, you're going to have a problem. Mm. So a situation occurs, someone gets a little leery, you have someone with live ammunition on them. Yeah. Okay. And now all you have to do is look at the amount of killings in America this year through guns. Yeah, and it doesn't have to just be people breaking into schools and shooting. I mean, the police in America were clearly at fault in relation to a number of, of such events. Isn't that right? I mean, is that an argument for not arming the police in Ireland? Well, I don't think they should arm the police. Now, again, I am in no way qualified to say whether they should or shouldn't. I don't think they should because I actually would feel less safe if they did arm them. Mm. Um, I've walked through airports all around the world where guards have been armed and have actually felt less safe when I see armed police around me. Um, in saying that, I know a couple of guards who would like to be armed on the basis of what they are meeting every day. Is. It must be tremendously unfair just stepping into the guard's shoes for a moment. Yeah. Being out on the street at night, the amount of drunkenness, the amount of public order offences, etc. And they're really not in a position, the only thing protecting them hmm. is the fact that they are a guard. Yeah. Isn't that really it? Yeah, and do you know what? And I think that's changing. I think the younger generation of a specific type of person does not have respect for the guards. Mm. And I think the guards find that extremely difficult because they have no ways of dealing with these people now. Speaking of dealing with people, uh, the Irish have a unique way of dealing with various issues around the country. You have thankfully brought in uh, this evening a collection of your favourite headlines from this year. Yeah, some crackers here, some real journalistic dynamite. You know, we start off here with civic pride, and that is where a man is the pride of Donegal after achieving a magnificent 88.7 88.7 miles per gallon. Okay, so I had to look at this. <laughs> Shea Givens from Donegal, isn't that right? Yeah. Okay, and he's got a, a tremendous career behind him. Uh, you've got Daniel Donnell, is he from Donegal? Uh, I don't know. Come on, well, you've got Alice <laughs> I watch that, I watch that show every week. Let's assume he yeah. is, because he's always talking about Nantes and stuff. Right? <laughs> and you've got all these great Donegal footballers. But the newspaper claims that the pride of Donegal is a man who got a massive 84 miles to the gallon. Yeah. In what a car. Frugal driving, yes. In a Honda. Let's sell a Honda. Okay, I don't know. Excellent. Right. Okay, what's next? <laughs> the next is a great one. Uh, the headline reads, Marrying a Healy Ray, the only way to get road made safe. Is it, sorry, is it my imagination? Or was there a program called Keeping Up with the Healy I think there was. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean. I think if anything, that headline is probably true. How many Healy Rays are there? Like, I mean, if you, there's a lot of roads that need fixing. How many Healy Rays can be married? Not really sure now, but... Uh, but I'll tell you what I am sure of. Yeah. If you do marry Healy Ray, I bet you get a grand. <laughs> Probably. The next, uh, the next one here is my personal favourite. And the headline reads, Road Bareback by Irish Water, Council is Told. 
I suppose it's very important to get punctuation right in that headline. But if I just read out a small bit of what it said. We are being rowed bareback by Irish water, said Senator David or Davy Hines. There's the front page, another councillor shouted to a nearby Wexford Echo reporter. The meeting descended into chaos and giggles. Something, someone else made a comment about Fifty Shades of Grey and another councillor called down with this sort of thing. <laughs> well, look, while I'm all for a little bit of hilarity, um, that is the opposite scale of what our elected officials are doing, is it? I would hope so anyway, yeah. I think that is the extreme kind of version of what they are doing. But yeah. it's in the media this year. Did anybody call it a political football? <laughs> Kick it around. Yeah. Anybody call it matter? scurrilous in any way? <laughs> yeah. oh, okay. um, next is probably a hot topic for a lot of people around the country. Easier to avoid landmines in Cambodia than potholes in Tipperary. Okay. Okay, well, I've been greeted by a couple of those potholes myself, so I can see why uh, they're complaining about it. I have a particular one that I liked from The Independent a couple of weeks ago where it published the tax defaulters list. But it says, tax consultant, one of the top payers on tax defaulter list. Now, that's a huge amount of irony, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> that's your definition of irony. Yes. Yeah. There was also an ice cream salesman and a fast food restaurant chipper. Yeah. So in the world of large corporation, Big Macs and fries, it's great to see the snack box is still sneaking in there. Snack box tin lilt. <laughs> that's exactly it. Yeah, I was actually that. I spotted that as well. That there was an ice cream vendor in it. Now I'm sure he's not an ice cream driving van vendor. I think this is quite a substantial ice cream. So it wasn't business. Mr. Whippy then, is what you're saying? Oh, Mr. Whippy has deep pockets. I would suspect. <laughs> <laughs> now, for all the Mr. Whippies out there, we are not referring to you. <laughs> and any likeness is not meant to. Uh, but look, I suppose uh, the point is uh, you'll you'll find people on the tax defaulters list with from various walks of life that you would just never expect. Absolutely, yeah. Okay, moving on then to the greatest source of Irish headlines, uh, Waterford Whispers, a satirical newspaper online that, in fairness, comes up with pretty hilarious headlines. By way of example. AIB to pay back 54 billion state loan in one and two cent pieces. Um, obviously not taking rounding into effect. Culture's queue up outside of closed clearies was one recently that uh, filled out on the 8th of December. But leaving, I mean, there's, there's endless, endless headlines. In fact, I believe a German newspaper this year picked up on a headline about a stampede when a second checkout opened in Lidl and Navin and believed it to be true. So answer me this one. What shields this company from libel or defamation? What shields this company from defamation laws now? Again, a real hot topic on the basis that everything until quite recently, where they seem to find themselves in, in a broil right now. But, you know, the, the best part about Water Whispers are they're actually very close to the truth, even though they are a million miles away from it. So is that a, is that a case of the best lie is 90% truth? Yeah, you know, they, they literally take the news and just reverse it. I mean, is this a modern version of Dustin the Turkey? I mean, <laughs> he said things over the years that were so defamatory mm. of public celebrities. I mean, poor Ann Doyle was killing him for years. But nobody would sue him because he was a puppet. Yeah, but the, the, the massive difference between Waterford Whispers and Dustin the Turkey, and I don't know who comes off worse there, is that Waterford Whispers actually are a fantastic way of getting people to understand the news. They actually have a good reasoning behind them. Even though the way they deliver it seems incredibly bad for all involved, they actually get people understanding the news better. Okay, well, let's just take the AIB to pay back 54 billion in one and two cent pieces. The alleged comment from an AIB official was, people have been bringing us in one and two cent pieces for years, we thought we'd get our own back. How does this possibly convey <laughs> Allard Irish Bank PLC's attitude towards its national? You see, it doesn't. What it does is it portrays the people in the country who have been paying back banks over the last couple of years and the people who are being quite stressed by paying back banks. And it is it is a clear kick at the at the lending institutions of Ireland, even though they named AIB, but it's a very clear, clear kick at them coming from the perspective of people who just couldn't afford it back in the time. And when people came in to try and pay loans back with smaller amounts of money, again, what they're doing is they're taking what happened and they're reversing it to give it humor. But the idea is still that AIB and other lending institutions have taken money from people and now people are hoping to get it back. You see, 
people come off on fairly wronged from this type of thing. I mean, I saw one over the summer that gave me a little chuckle that said, uh, parents of TDs at their wits end trying to entertain them over the summer break. Right? Uh, I mean, obviously, and to be fair to TDs, because we've given them a bit of a hammering in spots, um, you know, a lot of them were working over the summer break. So is this stuff that people believe? No, I think you can see from it, it's it's probably pandering to the, the public and the public perception of what happens. So, you know, it's the usual argument that TDs may not be working during the summer where other people may be working, and a lot of people have a problem with that. So they are highlighting it. That will get them huge hits because yeah. people find it funny. They relate to it in some way, and... You, you know, it's funny, I have, uh, I have this theory that a lot of public pers- people in Ireland, particularly politicians and whatever, become extra famous if Mario Rosenstock decides to take them on as a character. Like, <laughs> yeah. I've often said Bertie O'Hearn lasted as long as he did because people liked him because they associated him with the persona from Gift Rogue, yeah, right? Absolutely. The nice, lovable yeah, yeah, rogue. Yeah, yeah. I mean, even we were talking about Claire Daly and Mick Wallace earlier, and I see a Waterford Whispers one, Claire Daly and Mick Wallace drive off edge of cliff in white convertible. <laughs> Clearly a reference to a female movie of the 1990s. But, you know, does that make them more popular or does it defame them? Well, I don't think I don't think it defames them. I think this is what Waterford Whisperers try and push out there is that they're not having scalps at people or they're not trying to defame people. They're trying to tell the news in a different way. Yeah, well, a certain unmentionable man who's resident abroad doesn't agree with that but we're definitely not mentioning his name on this particular on this particular episode so um i mean from a practical point of view then what is the difference between waterford whisperers saying this stuff and mario rosenstock saying things and then somebody else in the news saying something and being sued instantaneously i think it's the comedy element isn't it is they're selling comedy from the start they're not attempting to be serious and attempting to go after someone in a vicious way they're in fact trying to not mask it by comedy, but explain it through comedy. However, they have to be careful that they don't run the line of defamation, which is always it's a blurred line at best. Um, but with the more and more news stories they bring out, the closer they run to the line, the bigger chance they have of defaming someone. Well, on that analytical bombshell, I think <laughs> we should probably wrap it up. We have endeavoured to look at some of the main legal stories here. Granted, we've gotten fairly sidetracked in spots, but it is nice for a change to have a lighter look at this type of thing. So, um, from myself and William, thank you to everybody who's listened to The Firm throughout the year. We'll be back in 2016 with uh, more guests, more hot legal topics, more legal information on the move, told in a more serious fashion, but nonetheless hopefully helpful to uh, all the listeners. And if The Firm can help anybody... I think, Will, it's fair to say, you know, if we can help anybody, then we would be delighted to try. Yeah, absolutely. Peace. Feel free to contact us and uh, we hope you have a good Christmas and a happy new year. Yeah, and thank you very much. Nothing contained in this podcast purports to be legal advice, nor do any of the stories told uh, represent the opinions of uh, the firm or Victor or William Clark. Simply told for illustrative purposes. If you need legal advice, then seek same from a qualified professional or indeed Clark Jeffers, who would be happy to help.